Good morning. How are we doing this morning? I'm glad I didn't put this table on your phone. <laughs> that would have been bad. How's everybody doing? Good? It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. Are you glad to be here? Prove it. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm glad to be here too. Uh, my name is Mitchell. For uh, some of you that I don't know this morning, which is really cool and exciting, um, uh, I get to lead our student ministry here at ICC, and um, that is a gift in itself, and it's another gift to be here this morning um, with you. So, uh, Merry Almost Christmas. I guess it's like Christmas Eve, 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 Triple Eve, right? Because Christmas is in three days. Um, are, is anyone excited about Christmas? Yeah? I, I've gotten the vibe that the excitement about Christmas is a little lower this year. Has anyone else noticed that? Yeah? I don't know what that's about, but we got to fix it today. Um, I think, I don't know, I think maybe just this season it tends to be busy and can be kind of crazy at times uh, and can almost feel like an interruption to the busyness of normal life. Um, But really it's a gift to us, you know, this holiday is a gift to us to remember Jesus. Um, And that sounds simple, but it can be hard to do. And so that's what we've been trying to do throughout these past few weeks. Hopefully you've been here with us um, throughout our generous Christmas series. Um, Robbie said last week, it's like we've been taking like a diamond and we've been looking at it from different um, sides and angles and seeing different parts of it. I think that's a good way to put it. So two weeks ago, Barrett taught us about God's generous provision. And then last week, Robbie taught us about how God is generous with his privilege And today, we're going to talk about how God is generous with his presence, with his presence. So presence like with a C-E, not a T-S. That would be, that would, yeah, be a different thing Um, and not true. Uh, Well, anyway, um, so that's what we're going to talk about today is that God is generous with his presence. And this is a, a really, I think, just a very important part of this season, just this idea of presence. I think we kind of have a natural understanding of this, at least at a human level. Um, You know, it's pretty normal for people to want to be with uh, their loved ones around this holiday, with people who are familiar, maybe people you've known your whole life, like your family. Um, Most of us want that. And and this is all throughout our culture. You can see this in like movies, you know, Christmas movies. That's kind of the classic scene is like a, a family together. Um, even in like songs, like I'll be home for Christmas. You know, it's just, that's just in us, I think, to want to be uh, with the people who mean the most to us uh, during this time. You know, you might see those videos of like soldiers returning home for Christmas. And that's like a guaranteed cry, you know. Um, but I think that's just really... That's really in us. And so even this Christmas, you can think about um, maybe certain people who you're really looking forward to seeing or being present with because you haven't seen them in a while or just because it's Christmas. And so um, there's a lot of joy in that. And I think we can see it the other way around too. Um, you know, there's, there's grief often around this time of year when we realize that there are people who, for whatever reason, are no longer physically present. And I think that is just a testament to the importance of presence at Christmas. Um, Now, ultimately, uh, presence is at the heart of Christmas because uh, Christmas is about God's presence, right? Not just uh, other people. That's the most important thing about Christmas. That is what Christmas is. So that's what we're going to look at today. Don't take my word for it. We'll look at, see see what the Bible has to say about it. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. So we've been in Luke these um, past few weeks, we're going to jump back to Matthew. So the very beginning of your New Testament, this is the book we've been studying as a church throughout the past few months. So some of this should be familiar. Matthew chapter one, uh, you can turn with me in your Bibles if you have them. If not, it'll be on the screens. So we're not going to read the genealogy today. Barrett taught us that back a few months ago. Hopefully you remember that. Um, we're going to start in verse 18 and read the rest of the chapter. So I'm reading from English Standard Version, Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. Y'all ready? Nobody's ready. Okay. 
Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is a pretty familiar story. Raise your hand if you've read this story or heard this story. Many of us have probably heard it countless times. And that's a good thing. Um, but I, think, I do think there's a danger there. And the danger is that we become overly familiar with what we're reading and what we're hearing. And we kind of lose our sense of wonder. You know, we don't um, like marvel at what we're reading like we should. So that's maybe a challenge for you today is try to, we're going to kind of try to take a step back and uh, really, really get what we're reading here. I mean, verse 18 says, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So this is how, that's what Matthew is saying, this is how Jesus the Christ, Jesus Messiah, remember that? The chosen one, the anointed one, the promised one, this is how he came to earth as a human. That's a pretty big deal, wouldn't you agree? Verse 18 sets us up, and you probably know the events of the story. Mary and Joseph, they're betrothed, like engaged to be married, and all of a sudden she's pregnant. Joseph doesn't understand, um, but says he's a just man. He doesn't want to make a scene, so he plans to just divorce her quietly. But before he can, an angel of the Lord appears to him, explains the situation, gives him the name Jesus. You might remember that from a few months ago. The Lord saves and he says that, he says, um, verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then here's what verse 22 says. We're going to look at that. Verse 22 says, all this took place, all this took place, why? To fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Why are we talking about prophets? So it's, you may remember, it's very important for Matthew that he's showing and proving to his readers that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. All right, but who is he talking about here? What prophet? Anybody know? Your Bible may have a little note. He's quoting Isaiah. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. This is what he's quoting. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this is just one verse out of the whole book of Isaiah that he's quoting. Uh, some very like brief background. This is like hundreds of years, maybe 700, I think, years before uh, Jesus that God gives this prophecy to Isaiah, through Isaiah, to uh, King Ahaz. It's a time when the people of Judah are in trouble. There's like a lot of fear. And so, so this is God says, I'm going to give you a sign, and this is it. This is the sign I'm going to give you. Okay, so obviously this, this held some meaning at the time it was originally delivered, but it finds its ultimate fulfillment when? In Matthew. Yeah, with Jesus, right? Jesus is always the right answer. Okay, anytime I ask a question, you can just say that. Uh, so that's what Matthew is saying. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He's like, hey, um, for those of you who remember this prophecy as a, you know, a good Jew would, this is it. Like, Jesus is the one. He's fulfilling this. Jesus is actually Emmanuel, God with us. He's like, this is a climax. This is a turning point. This is where, this is like what everything has been leading us up to. Does that make sense? See, here's the thing. We can't just like 
It's easy to do this, but we can't just say, like, okay, we turn our Bibles to Matthew 1, and we're like, okay, prophet, Emmanuel, God with us, great. I know the Christmas story, right? Like, we just, we get this, like, tunnel vision where we're, like, we're only seeing what we're seeing, and sometimes we need to, like, zoom out a little bit and see the bigger picture. Does that make sense? It's like this. So <clears throat> I realize that I have, I, I have a, a problem, and you might have it too, or maybe someone you love has this problem. But here's the problem. It's like you walk into a room where someone's watching a movie, and it's, it doesn't matter what part of the movie it is. It's like an hour and a half into the movie, but it's like an exciting part, and you're like all of a sudden like really interested in the movie, and you're like, what is this called? And like, it's whatever. And they're like, oh, who's that actor? And you're like, why are they fighting? Are they in love? Why does she look like that? Did, does he have superpowers? You know, you start asking all these questions, and what does the other person do? They like my puzzle movie, and they're like, you gotta chill, like, you gotta leave. You know, like, you, I can't do this. Like, I can't give you, I can't give you everything you need in this moment. If you're only gonna watch 10 minutes of the movie, I, you're just not gonna get it, you know? And you're annoying. That's what they say. <laughs> That's what they might say. And so does, any, has, does anyone do that, or does anyone have a loved one who suffers from this? Yeah, yeah. And so I just realized it the other day. And so uh, I realized that's kind of annoying, but what I'm trying to do in that moment is I want to understand what's happening. And I want to understand the big picture because watching, you know, the last 10 minutes of a movie, you don't get the big picture. Everything leads up to the last 10 minutes of the movie. And I think the same is true with our Bibles is we can't just pick out uh, and I'm, not, I'm not saying you have to be a Bible scholar to understand anything you read. That's certainly not true. That's not true of me. But I do think it's important that we, we're, we're able to understand the bigger picture and how this fits in. Does that make sense? You're going to appreciate those 10 minutes of that movie infinitely more if you've seen the rest of the movie. So here's what I would like to do. I'm gonna, we're going to just kind of take a flyover view of the story of, of God's presence as we see it in Scripture, Okay. Y'all with me? So just hang with me. We're going to move quickly. We're just going to look at the big picture, okay? So here's what I want us to see, first and foremost. <clears throat> I want us to see that God has always desired and intended to be present with his people. Like this has always been the plan. This has always been the design. This has always been his desire. And you, we can see this from the very beginning. So like Right when you open your Bible, like the first chapters of Genesis, we see God creates the heavens and the earth, and he creates man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he places them in this garden, this beautiful, life-filled garden. And the best thing about the garden is that God is there with them. Like, they have this perfect fellowship with God. And it doesn't last for very long, maybe like a page or two of your Bible, because in Genesis chapter 3, I don't know how long it actually was, but it's only two chapters in Genesis chapter 3, though, what happens? What happens? Yeah, so sin enters the world. Sin enters their hearts. They disobey God. They distrust God and they disobey him. And because of that, um, their relationship with God is broken. Like, that's almost like an understatement. Like, all of a sudden there's this huge gap, this huge distance, this huge separation between them and God that wasn't there before. And so at the end of chapter three, they're cast out of the garden and therefore out of God's presence as it was in the garden. So that's like right here in your Bible, you know. And the rest of this story, it, it tracks God's like relentless mission and sovereign plan to restore his people to his presence, like that's, that's been the plan for all along is to bring his people back into his presence. Did you know that? That's always been God's desire and his intention and his plan. And we see that worked out in lots of ways through this story. I'll just hit a few highlights. Um, when we get to Exodus, you see what you might call kind of like the tabernacle period, okay? So you, we start to see God's presence manifested in Exodus. Exodus 19, God like descends on Mount Sinai it's crazy. It's like a storm and fire and people are trembling, um, understandably so. But he meets with Moses, right? So Moses has this kind of this personal relationship with God, but he, he's a representative on behalf of God's people. And through Moses, God delivers the law and he delivers instructions for this tabernacle, this tent where he will dwell. It's like a portable temple kind of. That's where his presence will dwell. And at the end of the book of Exodus, you see his presence fills the tabernacle, and 
uh, he, he travels with his people. So God, he's, he's freed his people from Egypt and he travels with them for 40 years through the wilderness. In a cloud by day, fire by night. They know he's with them, but his presence is like in this, um, kind of confined to this location, the tabernacle. And see, through the law, God was t- kind of revealing himself to his people. He was, he was teaching them something. He was teaching them about his holiness and their sin. Right? He was kind of drawing this contrast between a holy God like we just sang about and a, and a sinful person. And a sinful person can't just stroll into the presence of God. Not if they want to live. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. In Leviticus, we see the, the, a, a lot of the, the law. And God provides a way, provides ways for his people to be like temporarily purified, like made clean, made holy, so that they might experience his presence. The priests are kind of Israel's representatives. They kind of carry on the inner workings of the tabernacle. And this, this carries on through the temple era. It's kind of the same thing. The temple is just a permanent building in Jerusalem, right, where, where God's presence dwells. The Holy of Holies is like the center of that temple. It's kind of like the sort of like a hot spot of God's presence, you know, and, and only the priest can enter there under certain circumstances at certain times. Um, and so, you see, God is with his people throughout this time, but there's kind of this distance, you know. It's not personal. Um, and that's what he desires. And so we start to see this. So eventually the, the, the temple is destroyed, Israel's exiled due to their sin, you may know some of these stories. And throughout kind of the middle of your Bible, we have prophets. These are individuals who God has set apart and he speaks to them. He speaks through them to his people. So this is where we get like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, these kind of guys. And, and what God is doing, well, two big things he's doing. One is he's, he's executing or he's explaining his judgment on his people. He's explaining why they're suffering like they are. He's explaining the consequences of their sin. But at the same time, he's giving them promises. He's giving them, them promises. And, and God's promise, he keeps promising this day that like things will be different. It's kind of like things won't always be this way. There's coming a day where I, speaking as God, I'm going to intervene. Like I'm going to step in and take action and things will be different. And things will be so different, the kind of, the end result is that he will dwell with his people. And even dwell in his people. It's kind of crazy. And so, we see this in places like um, Jeremiah chapter 31. Uh, God promises a new covenant. He says, uh, one day I'm going to make a new covenant with you. It's going to be different from the old one that we talked about with Moses, the law, he says it's going to be different. It's going to be personal because he says, like, people won't even have to teach you how to know the Lord. You'll all know me, like from the least to the greatest. He says, I'll put my law in your hearts. Ezekiel says, "Uh, I'll put my spirit within you. I'll, I'll exchange your heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And he keeps saying this thing. He says, and I will be your God and you will be my people. It's kind of like a... It's kind of like a mantra, I feel like, that God repeats throughout his promises. Like, that's the design. That's, the, that's his desire. I will be your God. You'll be my people. God has always desired and intended to be present with his people. Ezekiel goes on um, to describe this, like, restored temple that's rebuilt and refilled with God's presence. This is while Israel is exiled. And, and it kind of builds up. Um, the book of Ezekiel ends with, uh, he's describing this holy city where God's people dwell. And here's the last verse of the book of Ezekiel. It says, and the name of the city from that time on shall be, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah. You may remember Barrett teaching us this like a year and a half ago, maybe. Laura mentioned this in her uh, testimony the other day. Jehovah Shammah. It's this name of God that refers to his presence with his people. It's like the best part of this city. It seems pretty beautiful, but the best part of the city is that God is there. God is present with his people. So do you see, do you see some of these promises? There are lots in Isaiah. Isaiah gets into a lot of, uh, or some of how it will happen. Isaiah, it's clear through Isaiah that this is gonna happen in a personal way. God is gonna bring this day about through a, a person who's, who's more than a person, but a person nonetheless. And so um, I, I, I want you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine 
We're going to use our imaginations a little bit today. That's good to do, you know. We're going to imagine what it would be like to be an, an Israelite during this time. So they're receiving these promises through these prophets, but they're still just waiting. Does anybody, does anybody enjoy waiting? Anybody? If so, you're alone. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Maybe you're just gifted with patience. But waiting is really hard for me. I don't, I don't like to wait for like days on things, much less weeks, months. And guys, we're not talking about days, weeks, months. We're talking about years. We're talking about um, centuries. We're talking about generations of people who are coming and going throughout this time. I mean, we even have, between Malachi, the last prophet, and Matthew, I mean, we've got like 400 years where we just don't have new prophecies or new revelations. It doesn't, not to say that God wasn't working. Surely he was. There was a lot happening in history. Certainly he was preparing the way, but there weren't new things being spoken to his people. 400 years. And so you can imagine like the posture of God's people, the faithful ones at least, would have been like on the edges of their seats. You know what I'm saying? You should sit up on the edge of your seat. Just do it for me, please. Just like sit up on the edge of your seat. You, you, you know this posture? What does this posture mean? It's not super comfortable. What does it mean? It means I'm, yeah, I'm expecting something. I'm waiting for something to happen. So maybe like if you're watching a certain kind of movie that's really exciting, really suspenseful, it puts you on the edge of your seat. You can stay there or sit back, whatever you want to do. But uh, that's kind of the posture of God's people. You can imagine, like, we're just waiting. It's sort of like a, a roller coaster, you know? Like, it takes you up slowly, and you're thinking, like, we're going, like, every second, like, we're getting higher, but we're still going, you know? But then eventually you reach this point, right? But that's what God's people are doing. They're, everything is building up. And I really do wonder how many were faithful to wait. It's, it's no wonder we sing songs like, you know, come thou long expected Jesus. Like, you're talking really long. They expected him for a long time. They're expecting God to work. And finally, like on this roller coaster, we get to this tipping point. And God like breaks this silence. But he doesn't do it probably in the way that we would expect him to, or even they expected him to. It's not with like a, it's not like Exodus 19 on Mount Sinai. It's not like that. God breaks the silence when this like young girl in like a obscure town conceives a baby, a virgin girl at that, conceives a baby. And these cells start coming together in her womb. And what Matthew is saying, verse 22, again, <laughs> This is taking place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And not just Isaiah. This is taking place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by all the prophets. Like, the birth of Jesus is this climax. It's this turning point. It's a turning point not just in the Bible, but in history. I mean, it, this, the, the birth of Jesus, it, it initiates God's fulfillment of his promised presence to his people. So the birth of Jesus means like God is, is following up on all the promises he made, including this one. God with us. Like Jesus is God who has actually come to be like us and dwell with us. John chapter one. You may be familiar with this. We've, we've read from it a couple of times already this month, but... Um, I just want to look at one verse. So, so you, John is referring to the word, the capital word, as uh, Jesus, the eternally existent son of God, right? He's always been. But there's this point in time, this appointed time in history when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God became flesh, became like us, was incarnated, put in flesh, and dwelt among us. He came to where we were. This word for dwelt, you can't really tell in English, but it's uh, like referring to pitching a tent or like setting up a tabernacle. Like it's definitely intentional. It would, it would draw people back who knew the stories to the Israelites in the wilderness. So John's like, remember 
the, the presence of God in the tabernacle, traveling with his people. Jesus is the real tabernacle. Like the true and ultimate tabernacle, who is actually God, who has come to dwell with his people. This is like a really big deal. That's an understatement. This is a really big deal. See, God can do whatever he wants. Did y'all know that? Did y'all know that? God does whatever he wants because he's God. So God has never been obligated to give us his presence, you know? Like he doesn't have to do that. And in all the ways he could have worked, all the gifts he could have given, this is the one he chose. He chose to give us himself. Like this this is like this is why we use this word generous. <laughs> this is radical grace, radical generosity that God would choose to give himself to us of all things, not just more gifts, not just provision, not even just life, but himself. And this is what Christmas is about. Like this is what it means to celebrate Christmas is to receive God's presence. You know, there are like millions of people this year who will celebrate Christmas without really celebrating Christmas. You know that? Because to celebrate Christmas means to receive the presence of God in Jesus. Like to open our hearts and our lives to receive him and experience him and even to treasure him. To treasure God's presence. I think of like Psalm 16. The end of Psalm 16 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David is like, in your presence, I never run out of joy. I never run out of pleasure. Like there's nothing I don't have in your presence. Like these are the words of someone who realizes that God's presence is the best thing, <laughs> that there's just not anything better. I mean, I even think about uh, Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. Hopefully you've experienced God's presence in your life. I think this has become the great, one of the greatest comforts to me in like any season of life, you know? In like times of waiting, in times of uncertainty, in times of doubt, in times of fear, in times of loneliness. God is with me. Like that's what, that's what this means. Like that's actually what this means. It's, it's, it's so simple, we almost miss it. Emmanuel God with us. And so this is the first, this is the, our, the first thing we do with this. The first thing we do is we receive God's presence. Like we can't afford to miss that, you know. Um, and whatever else we do at Christmas, we can't afford to miss that. To receive and experience and treasure God's presence. Just to really sit in this, you know. Like to dwell on this. God with us, God with you, God with me. That's what Jesus came for. And see, you know, hopefully you know the rest of the story. Jesus wasn't just born, but he, he lived and he lived as the presence of God on earth. He, he uh, died as the Lamb of God, right? The perfect sacrifice to permanently remove sin. And then he rose from death, rebuilding like the temple of God in himself. And he said, it's actually better for me that I leave so that I can send you the helper. And so he ascends into heaven and then sends the Holy Spirit to fill believers. Talk about generosity, right? Like God has now poured out his spirit on all of his people. He just keeps getting more generous. So this is how we experience God today. Because Jesus is not on earth anymore, we experience God through his Holy Spirit who dwells in us. First Corinthians 3 says we are the temple of God. We don't have to go somewhere to experience God, you know? We don't, like here, this building doesn't have anything special about it. The presence of God is no different here than it is anywhere else. And as we live, experience God's, experiencing God's presence through the Holy Spirit, um, just as God's people of the Old Testament were awaiting uh, Jesus' birth, we're awaiting his return. Right? We're looking towards this day. We're on the edges of our seats. We should be. So Jesus said, stay awake 
Be on the edge of your seat. Wait, because there's a day where Jesus is coming back to make all things right, to make all things new. And, and once again, God will dwell in perfect communion with his creation and his people. Like this is the day that all of history is moving towards. It's, a, it's essentially, it's a return to the garden. That's how the story starts. It's how the story ends. And we, we wait for this day. It's like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, like we will no longer uh, see dimly, but we will see face to face. We'll no longer know in part, we'll know fully. Like that's the day we're waiting for. My hope is that we will be found faithful, waiting for the day when we will experience God's presence and live in God's presence fully and finally and forever. So, like I said, the first thing we can do with this, the first thing we must do with this is receive God's presence. That's the purpose, that's the point. Um, the question to ask is, um, like is my, this Christmas, like in this current moment, not have I ever received this, but like right now, is my heart receptive to God's presence? Am I experiencing God with me, Emmanuel? And as we do that, as we live in that, like we, we talked about Psalm 16, as we find fullness of joy in his presence and pleasures forevermore, then we respond. There's a very, I think, practical response to this. And the response is that in light of our present God, who is so generous to give his presence, we're called to do the same. We're called to be present people who generously give our presence. Do you, do you all ever have a hard time being present with people? Am I the only one? Do you all ever have a hard time with that? That's something I'm realizing as I guess I learn a little bit more about myself, that that is a challenge for me at times. And I there are often moments where I'm frustrated and even regretful because in moments that I, I wish I would have been more present, I was, I was caught up on something from the past or something in the future, and I kind of missed something in the moment. And I think oftentimes our presence can be like one of the hardest gifts to give. Like it, it would almost be, it's almost easier sometimes to just give our money or our resources or uh, our words, right? The right, just have the right words to say and be done with it. Um, but I think often the way that God is calling us to reflect him to people is by simply being present with them. And so you can think of, you can start thinking about this practically as we move towards um, our, our time of, of sharing a testimony. Like who, who are the people that you're gonna be with even in this next week who you can be generous with your presence um, so today's sharing with us is going to be Aaron Burke. Uh, as Barrett and Robbie have shared, as they were, you can come on up, as they were um, putting the series together, I think it was, uh, God made very clear um, some folks who it would be really beneficial and powerful to hear from, and Aaron's one of those. Um, Aaron's going to share a little bit with us about this idea of being present practically and how this kind of plays out in her life and specifically in her job. Um, and so we're so excited to hear from you. Which, which one do you want? Does it matter where we go? You want to go right here? Center stage. All right, so some of you don't know me, some of you do, but um, I'm Erin. And I first came to Memphis um, just over four and a half years ago um, from a very small town in Connecticut um, to take a job at St. Jude. Um, it was the first time I had probably ever been more than an hour and a half away from my family and everybody that I've ever known. Um, but for some reason felt very called um, to come down here. And um, I am a nurse practitioner on one of the inpatient units at St. Jude. Um, and I take care of any kid that has a solid tumor or a brain tumor. Um, and because I work on one of the inpatient units, um, I take care of the sicker kids in the hospital. Um, and also, um, for those patients that choose to pass away in the hospital, um, I am on the team that is at the bedside with them um, as they kind of walk through um, these difficult times. And it was really actually in these times that I experienced um, God's presence. I know it sounds kind of odd, um, and it is a little scary for me to admit that 
it took, you know, being with these families at the bedside for me to really experience God. Um, kind of before I had come to St. Jude, I really had walked away from the Lord for like 10 years. Um, but it was really um, being at the bedside with one um, young lady in particular that I um, saw the relationship that she had um, with God um, through Jesus and how um, it brought her so much joy um, and how she trusted him in those final moments, hours. Um, and I was able to be at the bedside and see that um, and really how I came to accept Jesus um, as my savior. Um, but little did I know, um, after I was baptized not that long ago, um, my team at St. Jude started to walk through really the hardest season that I've ever seen. Um, it was, it's been months of giving bad news. Um, it's been months of telling patients that I've known for years that their cancer is back again. Um, and it's been a season of months of us having more loss on our inpatient floor than we've ever had. And for me, it was a season of really just trying to stay afloat. And really, I forgot to experience God in that because I think it was really scary, the thought of me stopping in these moments to really just experience it. Um, but luckily, um, you know, when I'm weak, God provides and was strong and really revealed himself to me um, and his presence with one family in particular. Um, so it was a young teenager who um, I had known for quite some time before um, she had chose to come back um, to St. Jude. And the reason why she had chosen to come back was because she wanted to be at St. Jude to die. And um, she wanted to be in the hospital with us. Um, and because of the type of cancer that she had, um, it wasn't, it was probably almost two months that she was with us. And um, there wasn't a lot of days where I was actively having to manage, you know, her symptoms and her pain. It was a lot of um, what I would do in the morning is, you know, I don't want to downplay like the medical part, but do my brief assessment, see how the night went. But most of my time in those months were spent on the couch or in the chair with the family. And they had decorated her room with like hundreds of photos um, and like different things that were sig clearly significant to them. And it was asking about what they were doing in those photos or hearing stories about when they lived overseas, what they did while they were there. And school was something that was super important to her. <laughs> like, she was like losing her vision towards the end and she would still, I would walk in in the morning and she'd have her eye patch on, on the computer like doing her schoolwork. And so we were able to work with the school program and our child life specialist to throw her a graduation. And she wasn't gonna be able to finish school, but, um, we were able to get her high school to mail us her diploma and you know, got her all dressed up in the gown and her parents and grandparents came and we had this graduation ceremony. Um, and I just think that was so special and really when I learned the power of it was when I got the call um, that she had passed away and it was late at night so I literally grabbed like slippers and went to the hospital to see them. And I walk into the room and um, her parents are sitting on the side of the bed, one of them on each side, um, in chairs. And I mean, these moments can be really uncomfortable and they can be really awkward as I try and figure out what do I say, what do I do? Um, but really, honestly, what God has taught me with his presence is that you don't have to say or do anything. You just have to sit there. Um, and so that's exactly what I did. And I walked into the room and I sat down on like the arm of the dad's chair. Um, and they obviously acknowledged that I had walked in the room, but um, for like, I mean, it felt like 10 minutes. It was probably pretty close to that. We didn't say anything, not one word. And I think really what that allowed to do, what that moment allowed was God's Holy Spirit to come and fill the room. And I think for me in this season where I was just having to do things and just take care of people, like I didn't stop to just sit. And I think really in those 10 minutes where I just sat at the foot of the bed with her parents, it was just the three of us in the room, 
there was more than words. I think just being there, um, and I think so much in today's world and like the busyness of this season, it's really hard to just sit and not do anything. And I think what God's presence has taught me is that like he is always with us. He is with us. And so me just not trying to fix or say anything, but just being present with them, I think meant more than any words. And I think really I understood the power of it in what happened at the end of that 10 minutes where he really walked me through all the memories that we had had together and how he was present in all of those things. And I think the silence really gave me the time to see how he was present in all of those situations. And um, after like the silence kind of had ended, her dad um, got up out of his chair and he put me in it. And he, you know, he got up from holding her hand and put me down and put me to hold her hand so I could have the opportunity to sit with her and say goodbye. And it was like in that moment that I just realized that God is present in all the people that we interact with and what an opportunity we have, I think, as followers of Jesus just to show his love through us and really just what a beautiful moment that was that um, I think when I look at things through my eyes, I feel like a failure because like I couldn't save their kid. And I think what God reminds me of all the time is that the most beautiful gift that we can give people, I think, on this earth is his presence. And he he understands, like he literally chose to come and suffer for us. And I am able to know that she is with a father who loves her more than any of us ever could because of the gift that he gave us by coming to be with us. Um, and I've been able to see her parents twice um, since this happened. And um, I saw them when I was running the marathon, actually. And it was, like, literally right before the finish. And they just were, like, waving and smiling. And, like, I'm like, they're not mad. They're not angry. And, like... They just are so grateful for the team at St. Jude that just came to be present and just didn't run away when things got hard. And that, to me, is what the presence of God is. And if I have to go through some hard things to, prove, to show them how much he loves them, then like, that's okay. Um, and I think there's so much power in that. And he's shown me that he is present in all his people, and I'm never gonna look in the eyes of someone whose heart he didn't create that he doesn't love. And so my job, no matter what the circumstance is, is to love them. And I mean, it's, it's hard, and you'll see me on days where I like literally can't even like deal with anything, and I'm like, I just have to grieve, and that's just what it is. But I think what a gift it is that God has given me his presence in me to be able to pick back up off the floor and continue to go honor him in this way. And um, I think for me, do I have time for like one more quick story? Okay. Barrett says it's okay. Um, So (laughs) like I had one patient who I was convinced like he was the one I never did literally anything for. And after we met on Tuesday and we kind of talked through God's presence, he really this week has put like so much healing into this one circumstance and so just for me in this Christmas season really he's shown me what a gift his presence is and so this was a young man who years ago um, was in the hospital for almost an entire year um, before he passed away and um He, if I had to describe him in a photo, I have a photo of him on my desk. If you're from Memphis, you'll really get this. Um, It's Gasol Conley, and then you see Justin Timberlake in the background, and he's in the front, like, taking a selfie of, like, the four of them together. Like, the only person cool enough to get those people in a photo together is him. And he was just the greatest ever. And so it was a really hard case for a lot of us at the hospital, and for the last like couple of years, I was convinced I never did anything for him. And kind of um, after I went to the Ivory Coast and like walked through, you know, that we were going to be sharing this, God really just put on my heart the power of being present. And so he, you know, was in the hospital for almost an entire year. 
And I knew that whole time I was never going to do anything that was going to fix his cancer. <laughs> Nothing. And so the only thing I had left is to offer him my presence. And so, but I didn't feel like I did that, honestly. And so for the last two years, it's just been a lot of regret. Um, and, you know, thankfully God put on my heart um, in this season, really the importance of sitting with him. And so we were able to arrange for, um, it was before we had our own therapy dogs, and we were able to arrange a private visit for um, some dogs that visit the hospital every once in a while. And um, he, like, it was a huge guy, and he, like, had this little frou-frou white dog, <laughs> like, sit, like, that he really wanted to meet. So, um we had heard that the dog was there and we were going to go see this dog be in the bed with him. And I went with two of his favorite nurses to just go and see. And we walked into the room and the dog's owner goes, wow, look at all your friends that are here. And he, he looked up and he goes, these aren't my friends. This is my family. And um, I look back on that moment and he would always call me his big sister because I was older than him. And like, that he considered us family, like, I can't even, like, it, that is just so powerful to me, and I would go through that again if I could just know that, like, make him on this earth feel so loved that he considered us family, and, like, we, like, it's hard, we didn't do anything for him medically, but we showed up every day, and we played video games with him, and we sat with him, and, like, that to me is who, who God is, and I'll continue to do it because, it just is the greatest gift, I think, that we could ever ask for. And um, just, I think that story for me was like the power of his presence. And um, it's just, it's reinvigorated, like just, I feel like I know God so much more in this season because he's just shown me how present he is in all people. And um, that's because he came to dwell among us that I can say that. And, um, and just to stop and just take moments to just be with people. And so, like, in this Christmas season, who, like, in your workplace or just anywhere, who can you just sit with? And I hope if I can sh share anything, it's that there is so much power in just being present with people and not trying to fit. You, you can't always fix circumstances, but you can always show up and you can listen and you can be there. And that to me is what God's presence is. And so, yeah. Thank you so much. I'll take that. Thank you so much. Aaron, for sharing your heart with us. Um, as the band comes up, I'll uh, <clears throat> just lead us into a time of response. I, I, uh, <clears throat> that's so powerful. Um, Aaron said that there are times where you can't fix people and you can't fix circumstances. Um, and maybe you feel like you have nothing to offer. So even, like I mentioned earlier, practically, as you think about the people you might be around this week, um, family or friends, um, how, how can you give your presence? I don't know about you, but um, you, may, you may have people in your life who... Uh, <clears throat> This is, this is a, a real thing for, for me, that there are people who've been in my life my whole life, and they've given me a lot of things, but they've never given me their presence. And you may relate with that. And you would trade all the things with just their presence, like just their heart, just to know them and be known by them. <laughs> and like... I want to be a present person. Like that's, I, I want to be that because God is that. Um, you know, when Aaron was sharing, I thought of, you know, this story in, uh, of Job. And in chapter two of Job, he's undergone all this suffering already. And his friends 
make a plan to come visit him. And it says they just sit with him for seven whole days before anybody says anything. That's an awkward silence. Seven days, a whole week of just sitting because it says they saw his suffering was great. And as we're around people, um, they're suffering. And we often don't even know all the ways that people are hurting and struggling, um, even or especially in this season. And it's not to say we can never speak. I think sometimes God gives us opportunities to speak life into situations, but um, I want to be a more present person uh, because our God is. And I can, we can do that because of Jesus, our Emmanuel. This is a response. This is not uh, self-help. This is not us just trying to be better people. This is a response to Jesus. So I just want to ask you, those two things, um, have you received the presence of God in your life in Jesus, through Jesus, our Emmanuel? And then how can you respond to that during this season? Generously. I'll pray for us and then we'll sing. Lord, thanks for being with us. You're not just holy and you're not just powerful and you're not just mighty and you're not just awesome. You're also with us. You're not far from us. You've always desired and intended to be present with us. You desire closeness, nearness, intimacy with us. And you don't have to, you just want to. And that's amazing to me. Um, may we just marvel at that today. May we just marvel at Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, please open our, the eyes of our hearts to see you more clearly today. Make our hearts receptive and responsive to you, even in this time, in this moment. Open our hearts to receive your presence, to know you more. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that's at work even now. Uh, we just give you this time. This is our time of response to you. Just ask that you would have your way, work in the ways that you want to. We're here for you. Thank you for being with us. Amen.